Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. Okay, so... What do we got? What do we got, Evan? Today we're going to be talking about the Fire Festival. Excellent. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> Which is like, when you think of this podcast... The premise of this podcast is like there's nothing better. Like it's like the, the whole like the tagline of money marketing and how it all goes wrong. This is like that to a T. This is like probably I think the most visible example of that in recent memory, at least. With with a healthy dose of rich people suffering. Yeah, exactly, and that's what makes it so much fun. And you can't feel bad about any of this. So. Okay. Okay. So here's my my intro. The Fire Festival is the story of a lot of things. It's the story of a generation of sheep that will pay ungodly sums of money for an experience worth posting about, and the wolves waiting just beyond the fence to take advantage of them. Mm. It's the story of the power of influencer marketing, and how by writing checks to a few big names, you can convince millions of people to do nearly anything. It's the story of wealth begetting wealth, and how if you are a rich 20-something who needs half a million dollars tomorrow, you can probably find someone who can help you out. But most importantly, and most delightfully, it's the story of the unsustainability of all of this. How eventually all of this shit will collapse in on itself in the most ridiculous, catastrophic, and visible way possible. And it will be hilarious to watch. (sighs) I'm so ready. I'm so ready. (laughs) So our story centers around then 25-year-old Billy McFarland, who has probably the most punchable face in the history of mankind. (laughs) Is that in the Wikipedia article? No. All right. Um, Evan is now pulling up. I just want to show you. It's like so stupid to show this on a podcast. But like, look at this dude. That is an incredibly punchable face. (laughs) He looks terrified. Yeah. (laughs) That is the look of a man who. (laughs) That is the look of a man who understands that he has the most punchable face. Yeah, exactly. He's trying to make up for it by being super rich. Um. So, um, McFarland. had a lot of businesses. He says, I watched, like, there's a couple documentaries on the Fire Festival. Right, and one right. of them, they actually interview him. He said he had, he had his first business in second grade. Uh-huh. And he would charge other kids to fix their crayons. It's just like the same bullshit. It's yeah. just like, yeah, like everyone had some harebrained scheme. But like you try to like, these guys try to like contextualize it in the narrative of their like big business life. It's, well, it's like, always like... I started my first business in second grade when I fixed other children's crayons. And then when I was 21, my uncle died and left me $15 million. (laughs) Like, that's every one of these dickhead stories. It's like, no, your family had money. Yeah, exactly. You you weren't a born entrepreneur. Your family had money. And also, like, none of his businesses made money when he was in like when he was in second grade so, was like, yeah. so his fucking his crayon repair business yeah. was shitty yeah already yeah right the investors all pulled out <laughs> i'm um, sorry you're being voted off the board <laughs> but i don't have enough crayons <laughs> i started this crayon repair company with my own two tiny hands <laughs> So McFarland, <laughs> the board is also second graders. Yeah, yeah it's a bunch of. <laughs> it's like uh, in Gravity Falls when they had the the Congress or the Supreme Court of Babies. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so McFarland's first big public venture was. Shh, Evan was the pay the toll. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Pulls out a knife, like cuts off my index finger. <laughs> 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 You're good. You have to re-pledge your loyalty to the yeah. podcast per, the podcast professionals. So his first big public venture was the Magnesis credit card, which claimed to be a payment system exclusively for millennials. In reality... Uh, 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 you got paid in just avocado toast and you no! can't... Oh, okay, next joke. Let's move on. In reality, it was not a real credit card. The card <laughs> <Yes>. merely... <laughs> It's made out of cheese. (laughs) So what you did is you would send in your existing credit card information, like your Wells Fargo card. Okay, hang on. (laughs) We can't get two sentences into this story. It's literally that fucking meme of like, just send us your credit card information to help him get the sweet Fortnite swag. (laughs) So 
you sent in your credit card information and then it would copy your magstripe information onto like this like sleek metal card and that would be your magnesis card that's it yeah and well <laughs> i mean they would have these like perks and stuff you know like typically what like credit card companies have so right, right. But it would be like exclusively like millennial perks like tickets to like the hottest shows and like McFarlane rented out this like giant townhouse in Manhattan and if you had a Magnesis card you had exclusive access to the townhouse <laughs> but like it's literally just like a fraudulent business you it's not a real to... oh it's not real none of it's real well like n yeah like none of the it's not a real credit card like it, w it didn't have any backing or like right, insurance they're, they're or anything not, yeah they're not like they're just stealing your credit yeah. card <laughs> literally this is fraud literally so after that business never went anywhere because it was it had no financial backing, uh, McFarland had a string of, of quick cash scams that this is like the dumbest and craziest scheme that I've ever heard. Okay, on a, on a scale of like, as a multiple of crawlers, <laughs> how dumb is it? It's like... We're well, talking like 0 0.8 crawlers? Okay, it's not even like... A real business it's just like a mad dash for quick money that like creates a gaping pit of debt that needs to be filled in immediately which is only filled in with a bigger mad dash for cash oh god mad dash for cash mad dash for cash <laughs> so what he would do is he would tell everyone exclusive tickets to Beyonce and he would sell all these like pre-sale tickets right. he wouldn't buy any tickets until the tickets actually went on sale and he would go in and buy all of like the highest priced tickets. And so he would just create an incredible amount of debt and he would just pay it with his own money. And so then to pay off that debt for buying all the Beyonce tickets, he would say early access tickets to Hamilton. And then he would sell all these like Wait. fake tickets to Hamilton to pay off the debt for the Beyonce tickets and get a bunch of millennials to pay him thousands of dollars for these fake Hamilton tickets. Why? Like, <laughs> is he trying to build a brand? No, I mean, he's literally, like, he's the kind of guy who said, we need $500,000, how do we do it? We put on, like, we buy a domain that says, like, Hamilton tickets now, and then he sells all these Hamilton tickets. I see. And gets a bunch of money, but then he actually pays for the Hamilton tickets when they go on general sale out of pocket. So it's just this unsustainable loop of of like ticket sales that he will literally never be able to pay off. That's insane. But it's like it's not insane if you already are rich, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you already come from like a, a rich family, like you can do this shit just to get a million dollars, right? Because you you want five hundred thousand dollars right now. Yeah, because you want a private jet to you know the Bahamas or whatever. Right, and I guess this is easier than saving up for a couple months. Yeah, or exactly. He's not going. Billy McFarland's not going to save up for a couple months. Right. He literally doesn't have any reason to. Like he's just like because right. you he, can just lie to people. Yeah, you just lie to people, get them to transfer you a bunch of money and then they're, you're fine. Figure it out later. Yeah, it's like a couple months we'll figure, we'll come up with a new scheme to pay off that debt. Right, you're just kicking the can down yeah, the road. exactly. So this has to end somewhere. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, so around the time of Magnesis, McFarland became friends with rapper Ja Rule. And the, the two... <laughs> ja Rule. <laughs> Won't someone get Ja on the phone? Yeah. Yeah, literally they play that that Dave Chappelle yeah, yeah. <laughs> clip in the documentary. <laughs> Where's John? <laughs> Which is so perfect for like, of course, who's going to be the perfect partner for Billy McFarland? Ja Rule, ja of Rule. course. Um, and so the two started talking about these big schemes for going into business together and creating a brand. Oh, they didn't boy. have any ideas. Oh, boy. So what they came up with was Fire Brands, which I don't really know much about what the actual business was going to be. I doubt they had anything. It sounds like they're, like, why would you expect them to have a business if yeah. this is his track record? Right, exactly. It's, like, literally just, like, schemes to make you money. Right, he's he's been a glorified ticket, he's been a glorified <laughs> and bad ticket scalper yeah. that didn't make money, and he was voted off the board of his crayon business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So why should we expect anything? And um, now he's got jaw rule in the boardroom. <laughs> So they came up with this like app that I don't think even was an app for longer than a few months, but it was like a music booking app where like you would you would go on the the Fire app and you would say I want, you know, I want Migos to play at my birthday party. That will cost 100 
you know, ten million dollars, whatever. Was it, was it specifically for like, for like high dollar mark things, where it's like I want to book Migos or whatever? Yeah, I think so. I think it's just like the kind of it's like not like local bands or whatever. I I don't know. Like I think it was supposed to be for like everything, I but see. like. You know, like, of course, like, the examples they gave are, like, these high profiles, like, you know, are you a, you know, 20-something millionaire that wants Migos right. to play at your birthday party? Just use this app. It'll take away half the steps of trying to book them. Right. So it's just taking out the middleman, which is, I like, see. not a terrible idea. No, idea. Not, like, we could honestly use, like, a sort of music booking app that yeah. could probably be kind of successful. Yeah. But, like, of course, Billy McFarlane's not going to put any actual thought into the infrastructure of this app. Right. <laughs> And so his big idea to promote this app was the Fire Music Festival. Right. Which was to have... Cool. <laughs> so this idea came about after, during a flight on private jet to the Bahamas, McFarland and Ja Rule's uh, jet touched down on a lightly populated island, which they discovered was Norman's K, the former private island of Carlos Leder Rivas, a kingpin of the Medellin cartel. Oh, so wait, so okay, former. You said former, right? Uh, yes, it's not owned by him anymore. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, <laughs> which but wouldn't surprise me. I either. was worried that this was. I was worried that this was going to make a right turn, and like yeah. one of these rich millennial twenty somethings was going to get like cartel yeah. executed or something. Yeah. I would not be surprised if Billy McFarland was involved in Colombian drug money, but it sounds like if he got involved with. If he got involved with a cartel, he would be put on a meat hook yeah. in, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, exactly. So luckily, uh, or unluckily, he didn't get involved with a cartel. Ugh. At least not that I know of. So um, McFarlane and Ja Rule had this concept to do a music festival on this beautiful private island. Right. Um, so he leased the island from the current owners, with the owners giving the one strict condition that McFarland make no reference to the Pablo Escobar connection in any of the marketing <laughs> materials. Just do this one thing, Billy. <laughs> if you can do this one thing, you have this beautiful no, private no, island. No, <laughs> no fucking way. It's just like, it's just like horror movie level like setup. Like, just don't go in the basement and you'll be fine. And then immediately he's like, there's beer in the basement, man. Let's go. <laughs> no fucking way. I... I genuinely don't know how, where this is going to end. So, immediately, uh, McFarland commissioned promotional footage with hired supermodels to be shot on Norman's K, and planning for the fire festival went full steam ahead. In early 2017, after a promotional video was released on social media advertising Norman's K as, quote, once owned by Pablo Escobar... <laughs> the owners immediately canceled the arrangement with McFarland. <laughs> So, really? You can't do that. There wasn't like, which is so satisfying about this story. There is swift and immediate justice for all these actions. Oh my god! Like, it was like literally the one thing yeah. they like. Billy, you can't fucking do that. Right. They told you not to do that. What right. did you think was going to happen? You fucking psycho. <laughs> which like. In reality, Pablo Escobar was never involved with Norman's K. Right, it was some formerly owned by one of the members of his cartel. Right. I don't, it's like, is it the same cartel? Even? Yeah, yeah, it is the same cartel, okay, okay. but it was not owned by Pablo Escobar. But like, that's not going to stop Billy McFarland. It's going to immediately like, it was owned by Pablo Escobar. It's like, no, it wasn't. And of like, of all the baiting fate things to do. It's like, hmm, let's let's piss off a cartel yeah. while I'm like, while I'm on an island with a bunch of supermodels <laughs> that used to like an island with no Wi-Fi inhabited yeah. by nothing but supermodels, right? And like the one people who will give you access to this private island, you're pissing them off. Like the one gatekeepers oh of you being able to do this festival. <laughs> Maybe there's someone in this abound in this abandoned clown factory that can yeah. help us. When they were kicked off of Norman's K, they only had four months before their inaugural fire festival that was set to happen on April 28th. So they had to, like, completely build, like, rebuild from scratch in four yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, like, basically, the only concept for this plan came about because they were on this beautiful private island. Right. And it's, like, the one thing they had and just taken away from them. 
So after several small islands that seemed like likely venues were turned down, and with only two months to go before the fire Festival, the Bahamian government gave McFarland a permit to use a, a site set aside for development at Roker Point, just north of Sandals Resort. Oh, I see. So material released on social media continued to promote the falsehood that the fire Festival was being hosted on Pablo they Escobar's private island. So they did not stop with that, that line of marketing. So they also altered maps to the site to make it appear that Roker Point was actually an island unto itself. What? <laughs> in reality, the festival was in a remote parking lot north of the Sandals Resort and a nearby marina where locals store their boats. You, wait, so they like, they doctored maps? Yeah. Just be like, oh, it's its own island, but it's not? It's like, not. What the fuck? <laughs> Can you do that? Like, <laughs> They did it. I guess they did. <laughs> I mean, this is a long string of highly illegal things. And, like, weird decisions. Yeah. Like, why is the whole Pablo Escobar thing, like, central to your marketing? Yeah, I think it's, like, this, like, weird idea of, like, idea of, like, mystique or, like, it's, like... like mystique and danger. Yeah, exactly. Like, like this is where, you know, right. murderers lived. Right. Ugh. Um, Scary brown people! <laughs> Furthermore, Great Exuma wasn't a private or remote island, and the festival site was scheduled to take place in an abandoned resort development full of roads that led nowhere. An abandoned resort. <laughs> this really is a horror movie. Yeah, Holy exactly. Shit. This is the setup for like some midsummer level, like, like you know, like slasher horror. Right, right. With WeWork, it was the uh, it was the American Midsummer. <laughs> well, this is the uh, this is like this is the Caribbean Midsummer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> Latin beats. <laughs> McFarlane never announced the change in venue. He simply, he just simply rena renamed the location Fire K. With no infrastructure and no vias, the team had just under two months to turn Roker Point into Fire K. And did they do it, Evan? No. <laughs> they literally didn't have the resources. They pulled themselves up from their bootstraps and <laughs> completely reconstructed the yeah. infrastructure of this tiny fucking island. In a great 80s-style montage. <laughs> Push it to the limit. You're the best around. Um... So on December 12, 2016, Kendall Jenner, Emily Ratajkowski, and other influencers paid by Fire Festival simultaneously posted to their Instagram feeds a video with a, a mysterious thumbnail considering cons consisting of an orange square and a logo, logo made of stylized flames. I remember this. Clicking the thumbnail played the video showing Bella Hadid and other high-profile pro supermodels uh, running around a tropical beach. Text with the video promised... Quote, an immersive music festival. It's just it's just really low quality shaky cam. <laughs> <laughs> There's di just distant like <laughs> very distant ominous <laughs> But like hidden under like screams. <laughs> it's like the Cloverfield yeah. shit. So it promised an immersive music festival. At the end, just fire fest. <laughs> Two transformative weekends on the boundaries of the impossible. This was the beginning of Fire Festival extensive social media campaign. An investor, fa fashion executive Carlola Jane, reportedly arranged for Fire to res receive a $4 million loan, huh. which the company used most of to rent luxurious offices in Manhattan's tri Tribeca of neighborhood. Of course they did. Right? It's like, did they even need the offices for this shit? No, it's, just it's like, like they literally cannot make a music festival unless you pour every cent that you have into planning and using all your resources, and then they're just buying like luxury. Do they even have bookings yet? No, they have no bookings. <laughs> so they, they've bought, they've used four million dollars to yeah. buy office space, to buy luxury office space for the people that are supposed to get the bookings, and they yeah. have two months left. They have no confirmations from any musical act so far. Oh my god. Um, with no experience staging an event of the proposed festival scale, McFarland began approaching companies that did, and was reportedly taken aback when informed the event would cost at least $50 million to stage in the time available as he had promised. Oh my god. Furthermore, the more experienced consultants told them that in addition to the cost, an event of this magnitude would, ne would have needed at least an extra year to plan. You've got two months. Yeah, you've got two months and like one like 
twentieth of the amount of money that you need, and you're spending all of it for, on luxury, luxury uh, office space. It's like if I'm the consultant in this case, I just I quit immediately yeah. because it's clear that these guys are so incompetent that I'm not going to get paid. Yeah, exactly. And many of them did not. Uh, of course they. <laughs> of course they didn't. <laughs> Because they had no money because they were wasting it on private jets and <laughs> luxury <laughs> office spaces. Yeah. Of all the, like, you can do this shit in your garage. Yeah. Like, you could do this shit over Skype. <laughs> so McFarland and his associates at FIRE believed that it would, he believed that it would cost far less and continued with their plans under that assumption. Based on no, like, evidence that it would cost far less, just their own assumption. Like, yeah. How much could a banana cost? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The organizers try to do things themselves where possible. McFarland supposedly learned how to rent a stage by doing a Google search. I, I mean, you do what you've got to do, yeah. I guess. So, at least he's looking up how to do it. Right? <laughs> at least he's making the vague effort. I'll do a Google search. How to make music festival. Huh. How do I make music festival? So in the days leading up to the festival, they cut expensive expenses extensively, having learned that the luxury vias were going to cost $10 million alone. <laughs> what do you mean a private island is going to be expensive? So scheduled for two weekends in April and May 2017, the event sold day tickets from $500 to $1,500, and VIP packages including airfare and luxury tent accommodation for up to $12,000. And, and they're not like they have nothing planned. They're no. just sit, they're just putting this up. Like, yeah, we'll definitely give you this shit. Yeah, customers were promised accommodation in quote modern, eco friendly geodesic domes and meals from quote celebrity chefs. They're just making this shit yeah, up. They're literally just making it up. And they're like, because Billy McFarlane is the kind of guy who will just tell you anything and then just try his hardest to figure out a way to make it possible. Right. Usually ending in utter failure, right. but still him getting the money up front. Right, exactly. So the final advertised lineup was for 33 musical groups, including Pusha T, Tyga, Designer, Blink 182, Major Laser, Disclosure, and Migos. <laughs> in the days leading up, in the days leading up to the festival, all of the aforementioned acts pulled out. <laughs> Of course they did. With many of them never even confirming in the first place. Because well, I bet they're like, they asked one question and got a really sketchy answer. Like, oh, what's the venue like? And yeah. it's like, it's a parking lot. Yeah. Right. And they're like, yeah, sounds good. All right. Yeah. You know, we'll follow up and then click. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to a festival that's that will pay us the same amount of money that's actually run by competent people. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's a ton of other rich assholes who will pay them the same, if not more, and actually plan a real music festival. Right, and actually give them, like, a bed. <laughs> yeah, right. To make matters worse, organizers of the Fire Festival plan the event for the same weekend as the Exuma Regatta, a Bahamian sailing race series that utilized all of the island's hotels, vacation rentals, and resources. Oh, my God. I... It is, it's pure karma yeah. that like the rich, the rich dickheads that got tricked into buying tickets for Firefest got beat out by yeah. other rich dickheads yeah. that were there for the sailboat race. Right, and it's like, speaking of Google searches, you could have looked up when that was with a simple Google search. Right, it's just <laughs> what's happening in Bahrain this weekend? Yeah, like, <laughs> nope. So, while the festival's promotional material kept claiming that the festival would be held on a remote private island once owned by Pablo Escobar, workers were busy preparing Roker Point for the festival, scattering sand over its rocks, and improving a road to a nearby beach where they built some cabanas and installed some swing sets. So just like throwing <laughs> something together. Priority one, roads. Priority two, swing sets. <laughs> like, like, at this point... You're doing all this shit to, like, yes, we're going to be ready for, it's like, we're, we're going to be ready for, you know, April 20th or whatever. Yeah. But then, like, just move it to next year. Yeah. Like, just, why all the, why are you committing so hard to all this shit when yeah. you're, you're not willing to commit to anything else, <laughs> literally anything else of, yeah. like, all of this shit and, like, they're making all these promises, yeah. and they're totally willing to change all this shit at the last <laughs> second, but they're not willing to change the date. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> batshit. I think it just comes down to, like, the impatience of Billy McFarland, like, wanting money now. Like, yeah. they literally, like, yeah. 
like experienced festival organizers are telling him you need at least a year to plan this festival and like Billy could easily last a year it's not like he's hard up for cash right it's like he just wants his 10 million dollars right now I'm not gonna fucking wait till next year I want it now why wouldn't this work I'm gonna figure out a way right it's like every single time somebody tells him no he gets flashbacks to being voted off the board yeah. of his crayon of his crayon company yeah. and he's just locked in that state yeah, of being exactly. a second grader who can't wait for anything right yeah. So, <laughs> on the mainland, 5,000 tickets had been sold, and an air service was hired to charter festival goers from Miami. A medical services company and a caterer were also hired, but the latter withdrew a few weeks before the festival. Wait, wait, which one withdrew? The caterer withdrew. Oh. They were going to have no food. <laughs> I, and that's something I do remember from the news coverage yeah. about this. <laughs> that's one of the most famous details. I'm sure we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Like, that explains something. (laughs) So, with only two weeks to go, a new catering service with a $1 million total budget was hired, drastically reduced from the already low $6 million originally allocated to provide for what was promised as, quote, uniquely authentic island cuisine. That's that's like nothing. (laughs) For, For an entire music festival, $1 million is like nothing. Yeah, for... For 5,000 plus people over two weekends. As 5,000 plus people, plus professional event, like plus talent, yeah. plus crew, right. plus organization, right. plus executives. Right, exactly. So Comcast Ventures considered investing $25 million into the Fire app, which McFarland apparently hoped would allow him to finance the festival, but Comcast declined days before the festival. Of course. <laughs> I. Dude, if I was the Comcast rep in charge of that shit, yeah. I'd be like, like, wait, just one more day. Yeah. <laughs> one more day. One more day. What's he doing? What's, oh, the caterers pulled out? What? One more one day. More day. <laughs> so, reportedly... Ooh, you know, sorry, Billy. I'm... You know, we love you. Love your energy. We love this idea. But... Just can't do it. I, I know. I know. I'm disappointed too. Yeah, we really um, thought it would work out. We really thought it would work out. So reportedly, McFarland had self-valued Fire Media at ninety plus million dollars, but was unable to provide any sort of proof when asked by Comcast. One hundred ninety billion dollars. Yeah. Oh, uh, do you have any like expense reports or a business plan? Ninety million dollars. <laughs> It's like fucking Adam Newman being like, yeah, we're worth $60 billion. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not. So in reality, Fire Media up to that point had only done $60,000 in total revenue. $60,000? That is pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So after tons of like criticism and people within the Fire you know, company saying we shouldn't do this, this is ridiculous... Um, one of the top executives at Fire had this quote: "Let's just do it and be legends, man." That I respect that man <laughs> yeah. so much. Just like, fuck it, <laughs> pull the trigger, pull the trigger, Piglet. So there was also this this crazy thing that was it wasn't. I don't have it in my research, but I remember it from the documentary. One of the people who worked in the fire company went rogue days before the festival and created a website called firefraud.com and tried to warn people and put up all oh these like God. these like factual like documents saying like we don't have anything in place the caterer pulled out oh we're you know you, this is all a scam do not come to this and of course like that's it, amazing yeah it didn't work and of course like the festival is just like this is you know just like a rival trying to like bring us down right. and they were able to like discredit them <laughs> the enough. competing ice fest on the other side of the island. But it's just crazy. They had like an anonymous person trying like internally trying to sabotage them. (laughs) On top of everything else. Like a like fucking Cassandra (laughs) heralding the apocalypse. Yeah. (laughs) The receptionist or whatever. Doomed to not be believed. So after the Comcast deal fell through, McFarland obtained some temporary financing for Fiat fire through investor Ezra Birnbaum that required the company repay at least half a million dollars on the loan within 16 days. Oh, <laughs> a loan shark, my essentially. G- literally a loan, like, <laughs> like, that loan term is insane. 
Um, <laughs> but two, like, a huge red flag that I've come to recognize in all of this shit is, like, getting VC from a guy. Yeah. Not from a firm, yeah. from a guy. <laughs> and where do you go when no legitimate firm will give you money? <laughs> you go to a loan shark. You go to sketchy-ass VC. Yeah. So... <laughs> In order to raise quick cash for the event, and with under... It's my money and I need it now! And with under two weeks to go before the inaugural inaugural event, Fire informed ticket holders that the event would be now cashless and cardless, and encouraged attendees to put up thousands of dollars in advance on a digital fire ban to cover purchases at the festival. No (laughs) fucking way. So they're like, this is... I mean, it's literally... This is Billy panicking and trying to figure out ways to pay back his loan shark loan. It's like, what do we do? How do we lie to people? And so it's like, this is, they're telling everyone, oh, this is going to be a cashless event. How is this guy not in jail? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to it. <laughs> so this, this was done in spite of warnings that the digital cashless bracelets would not work because of poor Wi-Fi connection on the, <laughs> on the island. Oh, my God. And I'm sure he spent, like, another $500 million just getting the bracelets or something. Like, (laughs) that's such a bullshit way to get out of it. Like, oh, my God. So McFarland was actually able to raise $2 million through these bracelets. Through these cashless bracelets, he was able to convince all these idiot, you know, like, rich millennials to give him thousands of dollars. And he was actually able to pay off the loan. That's insane. (laughs) We need to do something like this. Yeah. We need to have, like, DAOC yeah. fest. <laughs> and just where all, all we do is get rich people to give us money, and then we just drop them on an uninhabited island and let them go all Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> CT and Evan bracelets. Right. It'll give you access to all the... All, all of the, the fun po- merch. All the podcast tents. They'll let you buy extra sand. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. All right. The day of the fire festival. Oh boy. <laughs> Things are being put in place. Early in the morning of April 27th, heavy rain fell on Great Exuma, soaking the open tents and mattresses piled out in the open air for guest arrivals later that day. The first flights from Miami International Airport landed at 6.20 a.m. Initial arrivals were brought to a, quote, impromptu beach party at a beachside restaurant. Oh, fun! Yay, beach party! Where instead of food... They were given endless supplies of alcohol and kept waiting for around six hours while frantic preparations for the festival continued. You know what they needed? You know what they needed, Evan? Nutrient vapes, baby! Nutrient (laughs) vapes! It's the only thing missing. But it's literally, it's just like, they're not giving them food. They're just giving them vodka. And they're just passing out bottles of vodka. And these people who are terrified now because they realize there's no festival, there's nothing in place, are just chugging vodka to have any sort of experience. Because they've realized that this is actually an organ harvesting scheme. (laughs) Exactly. Well, they don't know what it's going to be. They're saying just like it will start in a few hours. And they're waiting and waiting. One more day. Yeah. One more day. (laughs) This... Like, okay, we made jokes on the WeWork episode about this being an American Midsommar, but at yeah. least the people that left Adam, like, Adam Newman's Funtime Sleepaway Murder Camp, <laughs> at least they came away talking like they had a good time. That yeah. one lady got peed on, but yeah. it seemed like people actually enjoyed themselves. Right. It's like, the people here didn't have a nice time. Yeah. Like, this is like a genuine horror movie yeah. experience. Exactly. This is, this is the real American Midsommar. Yeah, and it's just the craziest thing, because, like... You are anticipating this and so excited for this. And the marketing is insane and making all these, like, ridiculous promises. Well, no, no, no. The marketing implied that it was owned by the cartel. (laughs) And now you're being left alone on the beach with nothing but alcohol. It's like, this is a honeypot. Yeah. (laughs) So while this was going on, while everyone was waiting around, McFarland hired hundreds of local Bahamian workers to help build the site. So he was just like hiring people on site saying, I'm going to give you $1,000. You help the, me build the this. Day of. The day so of. So he's like driving around Bahar- yeah. like Bahrain. Like, like he's, he's just driving around the island like being like, you, get in the car. Here's $1,000. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. Right, which is like, of course... 
Like a lot of poor people in the Bahamas, of course right. they're going to do it. And of course they were never paid because right. it was all a lie. Right. Like his lies aren't going to not apply to poor people who he's... He's who, glad that he wasn't like torn apart yeah. like, <laughs> like a bunch of wolves well, or something. There's literally like a video in the documentary. There's like this clip of McFarland like standing on like a box and people start like swarming around him. Because <laughs> he, like literally like he's like... <laughs> like if he did... I'm genuinely surprised that somebody didn't, like, okay. <laughs> I am genuinely surprised that somebody just didn't beat the shit out of him and take his clothes. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what, like, if he pulled this shit, that's what I would do. <laughs> he can't, it's like, if he can't pay the workers, he can't pay security. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump this fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, no one will know about it because you're on, like... <laughs> People would applaud. Yeah. I would throw L- I would throw articles of his clothing to the crowd, and they would carry me off in a palanquin. So later arrivals to the festival were brought directly to the grounds by school bus, where the true state of the festival site became apparent to everybody. <laughs> I love that phrase, became apparent. Yeah. <laughs> Just everyone realizing at once. Because there's nothing there, yeah. right? It's yeah. not like, and suddenly the festival site loomed in the distance, yeah. like the... You know, the masts of tents yeah. cresting the horizon. No, it is it is an empty field full of school buses. Yeah. And then everyone realizes that this is where the festival is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, because, like, the first place they arrived was just, like, the Welcome Center or whatever. And they right. kept saying, like, oh, the, the real festival's over there. All the stuff is over you know, a couple miles away. And then, so they're still holding out hope. Like, oh, maybe, maybe we're just, like, not seeing the full picture. And so they get in this school bus, and then they arrive... And what they see was a ground littered with disaster relief tents. That's their luxury vias. <laughs> no, but it. This okay. There's, you know the the conspiracy theory about FEMA death camps, yeah. like death camps and yeah. everything about how it's like, oh, FEMA's actually this crazy like reptilian organ organ yeah. harvesting thing, and they're gonna. They're going to take you and suck out all of your delicious vigor and vim, and then they're going to lock you in plastic coffins or whatever. It's like, imagine being somebody who believes in all that shit and then showing up to this. You're like, oh, fuck, the draconians have found me. And that's literally what Billy McFarland bought a, a few hundred tents from FEMA to provide some sort of shelter in okay. the rain. I've been I've actually been inside a FEMA tent before. Those things are they're like the shittiest fucking like plastic yeah. napkin things. Like yeah. they're nothing. Right. And it's just dirt floors. There's no covering for the ground. Disaster relief tents is right. Yeah. <laughs> also, most of the mattresses inside the FEMA tents were soaked from the night before. Right, because of the rain! Because <laughs> they have been laying out in the open air the night before Holy and then hastily shoved into all the tents. Holy shit. So the, the gourmet food that they had been promised were nothing more than in, inadequate and poor quality food from nearby restaurants. Including the famous cheese sandwich served in foam containers. Which was, it was just like a, a foam styrofoam clamshell container with like a slice of just pre, pre-cut white bread, yeah. slice of American cheese, pre-cut white bread. Because they literally like started going around to like whatever crappy burger joint is nearby. It's like, can you make us something? Right. And they're like, sure. You know, I'll throw together a crappy burger. We'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> we'll pay you later. So... Um, God. Festival goers were dropped off at the production bungalow. The, <laughs> the production bungalow. bungalow. Where McFarland, That's what we call our studio. Yeah. Where McFarland and his team were based so they could be registered, but after hours of waiting in vain, people rushed to claim their own tents. Although there were only about 500 people who had arrived, there were not enough tents and beds for the guests. Of course. So they wound up stealing from each other. So it became a free-for-all. <laughs> it literally did go full Lord of the yeah, Flies. Yeah, exactly. Because of course these rich dickheads can't behave. Like, Yeah, and also, the attendees were unable to leave the festival for anything else because the only hotel was completely booked because it was peak season of the year for the sailing contest. And there, was, and there were no, like... And there were no fucking Wi-Fi. Like, you couldn't call yeah. anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, okay, you know what you do in this situation? Mm-hmm. You walk to the nearest town, 
and you make friends with one of the local Bahamanian restaurant owners, and then you crash on their couch for the night. (laughs) That's what you do. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) But no one thought that far. It's just like... Well, and the fact that there's no Wi-Fi and none of them have cash yeah, is exactly. so funny. It's the perfect... And they're all drunk off their asses. <laughs> and, like, and the ones that the ones that are drunk, like, they're just drunk. Yeah. But the ones that aren't drunk are stealing from the drunk yeah. ones. <laughs> exactly. Which is, like, there's nothing like, like a feeling of panic when you have like a few drinks in you like it, it compounds everything oh man because you cannot get your bearing like imagine having to run from a serial killer when you're like drunk off your ass right right like that would be terrifying because you literally can't walk well and well and you've got the you've got that loss of in loss of inhibition so yeah. all your emotions are pouring <laughs> the fuck out exactly but how much fun would it be to be one of the random like Bahamanian yeah. like residents that's just like watching this with your buddies on a yeah. like you're up on the roof of your apartment complex with some binoculars and some mesquite <laughs> and you're and you're just like this is fucking great yeah <laughs> yeah just watching this sea of drunk panicked children yeah <laughs> fighting each other for these horrible FEMA tents right right so around nightfall, a group of local musicians took to the stage and played for a few hours. That's fun. The only act to perform for the event, which is like one little light of like one little light in this sea of madness. So it's just like a group of locals are like, "Hey, like we see all these poor people. We're just gonna play some, them some nice right, local right, music." Like, right. <laughs> and there's a stage, like a giant stage. Like, might as well. Right. Like, fuck it. Yeah. That's like awesome. The biggest crowd they've ever had. What a story. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So after a night of like poor sleep and like madness, uh, it was announced that the festival would be postponed and that the attendees would be returned to Miami as soon as possible. Did they get to go home, Evan? <laughs> they did get to go home eventually. Eventually. So reports from the festival mentioned various other problems, such as the mishandling or theft of guests' baggage, uh-huh. no lighting to help people find their way around, an unfinished gravel lot, gravel lot. A lack of medical personnel, personnel or event staff, no Wi-Fi, and uh, portable toilets that were few and far, far in between. <laughs> there was also no running water and security that was incredibly heavy-handed. <laughs> well, because if you're if you're security, you you are realizing you're not being paid. Yeah. Right. So you're just like. You just gotta take the chance to slap the shit out of some rich American dickheads. Exactly. So, as we said, these problems were exacerbated as the festival had been promoted as a cashless event, leaving many attendees without money for taxi fare or other expenses. I love the... Okay. One, it's like, if somebody says, no, it's a cashless event, don't bring your credit cards. Like, like if you trusted that, you deserve everything that's going to happen to you. So many attendees were reportedly stranded as flights to and from the island were canceled after the Bahamian government issued an order that barred any planes from landing on the airport due to the rain. Fuck (laughs) off. No way. That's great. They were literally stranded. So the first flight back to Miami boarded at 1.30 a.m. on April 28th but was delayed for hours due to issues with the flight's manifest. It was canceled after sunrise, and passengers were locked in the Exuma Airport terminal with no access to food, water, or air conditioning. <laughs> That's this is hilarious. Yeah. Like, a passenger recalled that at least one person passed out from heat exhaustion during oh no. the wait. <laughs> so it genuinely is getting horrifying. Like right, right. You're waiting in this box for hours. You have no idea. I no idea when the... Right, there's no food or water or place to go to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. So the flight eventually left Exuma that morning, and more charter flights to Miami departed from Exuma throughout the day. One attendee who was stuck in Miami reported that the pilot of their airplane had told them to get off so they could turn the plane around for immediate departure, as they were now serving as a rescue aircraft to get attendees off of Great Exuma Island. And that's true. It's yeah. like, at this point, it's a rescue operation. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like if were it not for these charter flights, like the event planners wouldn't have been able to pay people and these mm-hmm. people all would have died. Yeah, exactly. 
So shortly after all this madness, Fire Festival posted a long statement on, on their website. Let's hear from Fire Festival. Oh this. God, I can't even imagine. Fire Festival set out to provide a once-in-a-lifetime musical experience <laughs> on the islands of the Exumas. Due to circumstances out of our control, the physical infrastructure was not in place on time, and we are unable to fulfill on that vision safely and enjoyably for our guests. At this time, we are working tirelessly to get flights scheduled and get everyone off of Great Exuma and home safely as quickly as we can. We ask that guests currently on island do not make their own arrangements to get to the airport as we are coordinating those plans. We are working to place everyone on complimentary charters back to Miami today. This process has commenced and the safety and comfort of our guests is a top priority. The festival is being postponed until we can further assess if and when we are able to create the high quality experience we envisioned. We ask for everyone's patience and cooperation during this difficult time as we work as quickly and safely as we can to remedy this unforeseeable situation. We will continue to provide regular updates via email to our guests and via our official social media channels as they become available. You know what really stuck out to me there? Was when they said, due to circumstances beyond our control. That's the thing! Literally, every single thing that happened was within their control <laughs> and their responsibility. Literally, the only thing was the rain. The rain. <laughs> and the, the one thing. But they should have fucking planned yeah, for rain exactly. because they took these people to an island in the Bahamas! <laughs> the, exactly. You know, the tropics, a place famous for its frequent rainstorms. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I guess that that's not even out of their control. They could have planned for that. That's like saying, like, the the sailboat race was out of their control. It's like, yes, you can't prevent the sailboat race, but you can plan around it. Right. It's like, it is your responsibility to accommodate these things. Yeah. Which is like, while reading this, my thought is like, it's a great press release if this was a real festival. Right. Like, if this was a real festival that had been well-planned and something crazy had happened to, like, actually out of their control, this right. is a great statement. Like, right, right. It addresses everything. It's honest. Like, everything. Well, it's probably from the actual event organizers that they hire. Yeah, right? exactly. It's some PR person who can write, right. like, a kick-ass press release. But it's just, like, it's it becomes utterly hollow and ridiculous right. when you realize this was a total scam. There was n no musical acts ever performed. There was no food, no water. It was a joke. Right. What were they going to do? There I, was never any... It's just so, like, ridiculous because it's, like, obviously there were warning signs, but, like, the fact that they actually put people on planes that late in the game is just ridiculous. Right. It's, it's insane, and all they, like... I don't understand how they were expecting it to go well. Yeah. Like how they were, or how they were expecting it to make money. Yeah. Right. It's just like, what? They didn't have a plan, but Billy McFarlane just has that attitude of like, we'll make it work. Right. Like, I'll pay some random, you know, locals to do something that'll make it good, and I'll just use my money to make it awesome that'll make me more money. Well, and that, that make it work attitude only works up to a point. Yeah. Right? It's like, and... If you rely on that attitude, it crashes and burns hard. Exactly. Well, especially when you're dealing with hundreds of rich people. Thousands of rich people. Sue the shit out of you. Right. Every single person, every single person on that island had an extremely wealthy parent yeah. that could afford an extremely effective lawyer. Right. And we will get into that in just a moment, but oh boy, here's the one thing that's like another thing that became like viral after the whole Firefest is like right. later Firefest um, put out a statement that um, to compensate people, they're either going to give them a full refund or you can choose VIP tickets to the next Fire Festival. <laughs> that is amazing, like the balls that you have to have. But it's like it just like immediately became a joke on social media of because it's like. People would like put up pictures of the current fire festival and just like can't wait for next year, like, that kind of stuff. It's just like <laughs> you are setting yourself up for even more ridicule and like infamy. Well, and there were, I distinctly remember there were people that were at this fire fest that after the fact were saying like, "No, if they could actually pull it together, I would I would go next year." And yeah. It's like you poor poor little thing. <laughs> it's like that's how you got there in the first place. Exactly. <laughs> it's just this constant rationalization of like, oh, well if it works, it's like there was never a bottom to this. Yeah. You were tricked. Yeah, exactly. You were tricked fair and square. 
They, Not really, but... Right. Billy McFarlane dangled a carrot in front of your <laughs> face, and then you walked into the pit trap. Yeah. So as a result of the festival, McFarland and Ja Rule are the subject of a $100 million lawsuit in the state of California. That's even... That's, like, small compared yeah. to what they deserve. Exactly. It was filed on behalf of plaintiff Daniel Jung by entertainment lawyer Mark Gregaros, who is seeking cla- class action status for the lawsuit with more than 150 plaintiffs. So everyone is kind of, it's like right. a communal experience. <laughs> um, per the filing, uh, Jung's lawsuit alleges fraud, breach of contract, uh, breach of covenant of good faith, and negligent misrepresentation, which yeah. all those are <laughs> very true. Yeah. So, Readily apparent, I would say. Garago's uh, firm pledged to hold, quote, all those who recklessly and blindly promoted the festival and ca- accountable which was interpreted as being directed at Jenner, Hadid, and other social media influencers. So that became like a weird thing. Where That's just, weird. Yeah. They didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, it later came out they knew nothing about this, and like a lot of them were told to post without saying that they were involved. Because like, uh, there's a law on Instagram that if you post a promotion promotional post, you have to mark it with hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored. Right, you have right. to say it's an ad. So a lot of people oh. illegally promoted the fire Festival and said they just found out about this great new festival. I think I'll be there. Right, and just right. they got their check for half a million dollars and then no one even knew about it. Right, right. Um, so a Garagos lawyer stated that fire Festival sent cease and desist letters to whistleblowers after the event <laughs> and during the event like as it was leading up at to that like, point anyway. it's not whistleblowers it's just people talking about what happened exactly <laughs> so a second class action lawsuit was filed in los angeles um the plaintiff alleges alleges that they deceived patrons into attending the festival by paying more than 400 social media personalities to promote it the parties are accused of, accused of breach of contract neg- negligent misrepresentation and fraud a third lawsuit was filed in the New York federal court against all the uh, creators of the festival, uh, accusing the organizers of false representations, material omissions, negligence, fraud, and violations of consumer protection statutes. All stuff they are clearly guilty of. Yeah. A quote from the lawsuit, upon the arrival of guests to the island of Great Exuma for the first weekend, the island was lacking basic amenities, was covered in dirt, and guests had to sleep in tents with wet blankets. There was no communal showers or bathrooms as promised. Instead, there were porta potties only one for every 200 yards that were knocked down and only three showers, although there were hundreds of people arriving. <laughs> so even more details started to come out like, in these lawsuits. So the, I love how these, like, these rich dickheads couldn't help lashing out and knocking over their only <laughs> toilets. <laughs> one toilet every 200 yards. <laughs> Two football fields. Yeah. God. Which probably didn't work, and were probably backed up because of all the rain. Right, exactly. (laughs) So another lawsuit was filed by National Event Services, which provided medical services for the festival and claimed to have suffered $250,000 in damages, alleging breach of contract fraud and negligence by the organizers. The suit alleged that FIRE failed or refused to buy cancellation insurance and failed to secure a contract with a medical evacuation helicopter or plane. There was no plan for if someone got sick on the island. They had nothing. Like, Holy thank God no one shit. had, like, an asthma attack or, like, you know, like, right. low blood sugar or some shit that they didn't know about. Right, because otherwise that would be, that would flip this over into criminally negligent homicide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so NES employees reported that the local medical clinic clinic was closed near the island and the accommodation was uninhabitable with bug infestation blood-stained mattresses and no air conditioning. Holy shit! So, I don't know where the blood-stained mattress thing comes <laughs> out, but for some of the guests had blood on their mattresses. Where did they get the mattresses? <laughs> I don't want to know. Like, what horrible thing? Like where, From like a hospital or something? Like Oh my god, what if they were like plague-infected mattresses or something? They probably were. I wouldn't be surprised. Another lawsuit was filed in Suffolk County Superior Superior Court in Boston on behalf of ticketing vendor Tableist. The company is alleging that that the festival organizers and financial backers committed breach of contract and fraudulently deceived Tableist and ticket purchasers. Tableist is seeking $3.5 million to refund customers as well as damages resulting from loss of business after being forced to lay off 40% of their workforce to focus on the litigation. 
Holy shit. So, like, anyone involved with this festival was heavily financially impacted. Like, right, yeah. From the medical service company to the ticketing company to the locals who built the... Like, everyone... Right, because, of course, this dickhead never paid yeah. for any of this shit. He was never going to pay anyone. This dude should be killed. I oh know, God. yeah. He's, like, he's ruined thousands of lives. Right, exactly, yeah. It's just, like, how, in the span of, like, two months, he ruined thousands of lives. Like... Trick people out of like half their money for nothing. Yeah, ah, scum. So on July third, twenty eighteen, uh, the first results of the lawsuits. Uh, two North Carolina attendees were awarded five million dollars in damages. The judgment was granted against McFarland in absentia after he failed to respond to the court proceedings. He didn't even fucking show up to any of the lawsuits. Right, of course, because like, why would he? Yeah, he's like, he's probably just gonna like flee the country or whatever. Exactly. So, luckily, on May 21st, 2017, the New York Times reported that McFarland and his associates were under an active federal criminal investigation by the FBI for mail fraud, wire fraud, and securities fraud. The case was overseen by the United States Attorney General for the Southern District of New York. On June 30th, 2017, McFarland was arrested and charged with one count of wire fraud. In March 2018, McFarland pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud in the U.S. Justice Department uh, in what the U.S. Justice Department called a scheme to defraud investors, as well as a second count of wire fraud related to a scheme to defraud a ticket vendor. In October 2018, McFarland was sentenced to six years in prison and ordered to forfeit $26 million. McFarland is currently incarcerated in FCI Elkton in Lisbon, Ohio. Good. I hope this fucker rots. (laughs) But it's just like... Like, great. Like, it's amazing that justice was served so quickly. But, like, the really sad thing out of all of this is the thing that he went down for out of everything was defrauding investors. Right. Not about all the people that he put in danger. Not about all the locals that he had to work for free for days on end. He went down because other rich people lost money. And that's why he went to prison. And that's why any rich person will go to prison is if they mess with other rich people's money, you know. Hmm. Okay, I just looked up the prison that he got sent to. It is luckily not one of those crazy like luxury prisons. Yeah, like in like this is an actual Wall Street. This is an actual FBI prison. Yeah, which is is great. Right. It's just like honestly, like six years is not enough. It's nothing. Yeah. It's honestly like refreshing to see someone go to prison. Right. Out of all this, even though he deserves, deserves eight it. life sentences. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's just like but it's like the thing is, it's like most of these people, they are so good at hiding it and having like shell companies and like but he, all of this shit was like blasted on social media for right. millions of people to it's see. Incredibly obvious. He had no chance of not being indicted. Because everything was public. He made everything public. Right. So wait, he got sentenced in 2017? Uh, in 2018. 2018. So yeah. he gets out in 2024. Yeah. Exactly. Right. right. It's just ridiculous. That's insane. And it's just like, as I said in the intro, it's just like refreshing to see everything collapse in on itself in right. such a ridiculous and outlandish manner. Like, I honestly, obviously, it was horrible, and, like, the fact that someone, like, people, like, pass out from heat exhaustion, I don't wish that on anyone, but, like, the fact that a bunch of rich millennials who would go to right. pay upwards of $1,500 for a one-day ticket for a festival where Migos was performing right. or whatever, you deserve all that. Right, you, it's like, you deserve, you deserve to experience what poverty is like for just two days. Exactly. You know? And then, you know, probably are traumatized by it. And like, right. It's like, hopefully this can, like, beat some empathy into you, man. Yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the best possible thing to come out of this, is if yeah. any of these rich millennial dickheads are like, huh, maybe my, maybe my privilege isn't a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, gosh. Maybe I should be smarter about my investments. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't just believe whatever, you know, Kendall Jenner tells me on Instagram. It's like, you have to pay $2,000. Do it now. Do Uh, it now. Up front. Do not bring your credit cards. Do not ask questions or you will be punished. God. So all this just from, like, the people arriving and, you know, like, all the... Because, like, 
he went to prison, but like he's also under a ton of investigations. That right. he's gonna his company is gonna end up having to pay hundreds of million of, of dollars, which he won't like. The court will never see a cent of that because he has no real money. Right, it's all fake. And even if he did, you could just declare bankruptcy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just siphon siphon assets out of your like out of one of your many shell companies, and then be right back to the start. Exactly. But the fact that he is in prison is just like a little right. gleam of hope. The fact that he actually got sent to prison, yeah, is like an enormous victory. Yeah, and not like six months probation or something. Right, right, or getting sent to one of these fancy prisons. Yeah. So uh, that's the fire festival. I'm sure like a lot of people know about it, but it's just like. Every time I hear about the story, it's just I can't believe it because it's just so ridiculous. Oh, that's a like that was truly amazing, <laughs> and it's just like I got like ninety five percent of this information from Wikipedia. Like, there's no deeper digging because all this stuff is so public, right? And right. so like, there's nothing hidden. It's just like all their negligent and criminal and fraudulent behavior is just documented in right. perfect crystal glass you know for everyone to see right. which it's just, eternal yeah which just makes it so much fun oh you can God. see everything that's the story of fire festival oh thank you thank you so much <laughs> wow oh my god that was wonderful evan Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism. If you like the show, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you really want to make us happy, you can leave us a nice rating or review. You can follow us on Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism and on Tumblr, link in the show notes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Desperate Acts of Capitalism.